0: either one of these any good wow this is a good movie it's pretty good yeah, well the director from yesterday doesn't
1: think so it stinks you sorry <laughs> you waste all our film it's so
0: bad well i'd say we're officially into the holiday season so um it's ramping up we got good stuff this week uh, a few good films to talk about big small and in between let's get into it she is hope mad he's george wolf and we are from madwolf.com and where else do you think we're gonna start we'll start in wakanda The people fight to protect their home from intervening world powers as they mourn the death of King T'Challa. It's Black Panther Wakanda forever.
1: We know what you whisper. Well, I think this was going to be an emotional film, no matter what they did with it. And it seems to me that Ryan Coogler, who must have been very, you know, as emotional as anybody about revisiting this without Chadwick Boseman, he actually turned that into a major theme of the film itself.
0: Yeah, and it works so well with that theme, even though it's still a great adventure, it's it's so interesting because you know when when Chadwick Boseman passed away, it was such a you know very few people knew he was sick, right? And it was such a shock, and you just couldn't believe it. And all these feelings, and and one of them after you looked at it a little bit was well, what are they going to do with Black Panther? Mm-hmm. You know what? And it was it would be really interesting to know maybe where it might have gone before that happened. Did they have another another storyline penciled, you know, like outlined or anything or drafted? Because the way they deal with it here. It's right from the opening minutes. Boom! Oh, yes. Uh, he, you know, the king has passed away and they're dealing with it. So they get right to it and you're right, it's it's just he's not technically T'Challa is not technically a character in this movie, but yet he is. Yeah,
1: he yeah, he His, he looms over he the looms. entire film and as you were saying earlier, the the storyline and the characters, the story is is about these people trying to decide how to move on without this beloved figure. And mm-hmm. you can see where the actors the cast yes. themselves are likely grappling with the same heavy emotional weight and it and it gives as you have said the 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 film an emotional depth that you're not going to find in another uh marvel film
0: really that that is true i mean and the writing reflects that uh and the first one you know going back to the first black panther i think we still both feel it's the, Easily it's the, the best, best marvel marvel film. marvel film and it's always going to be tough Following that up, but boy, to be thrown for for such a loss in character and actor, and to recover this way—it is—it's so—it's so deep in its feelings. It's so contemplative, yes, uh, but yet also so so much of a spectacle when it goes there, um, because the storyline picks up about a year, um, about a year after the king has died, and. The queen, Angela Bassett, his mother, who's glorious.
1: Most beautiful woman in the world. (laughs) I've been saying it for ages. Now I just get to say it on the podcast.
0: She's getting a lot of pressure from world powers to share vibranium, their all-powerful resource. Um, And, of course, they're not always asking. There's some trying to take involved, too, and she knows this. She's smart enough to know this. Let me
1: just say, the scene where she dresses down the United Nations, she is glorious.
0: It is great. But then someone invents a device, new technology, a piece of, uh, but then someone comes up with a device that can detect vibranium in the environment, and that brings out Nemoor, who is the leader of an, uh, as of yet, undiscovered undersea nation that also has vibranium in their environment. So he takes this as pretty much an act of war and wants to tell, has come to tell uh, the queen and the princess, uh, Princess Juri, deliver me the scientist who came up with this, or we're going to be enemies.
1: So basically, he's saying, "Let's be allies because right. we both have access to vibranium, or, or you are also my enemy."
0: Exactly, exactly. So that's where the threats come from. So there's a a great a great layer of you know the 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 rush to war. There's there's you know rage versus mercy. But yet, at all this time, they're dealing with these characters, they're dealing dealing with this grief, and the way those threads interact is is fascinating and really well done. And as I think, as you have pointed out, the writing also gives a lot of these actors the chance to really dig into to deeper characterizations.
1: I loved how much Winston Duke's character uh, evolves and takes on a stronger presence in this one. He's funny, and he becomes sort of the wise old mentor to uh, Letitia Wright's character, which is which is fun and interesting. Yeah, the princess. Not exactly what you have ex- you would have expected. Um, and uh, the same thing, you know, with Dene Guerrero's character is that she has a different kind of crisis and you get to see a side of her that you haven't seen mm-hmm. before. And a lot of it is because these characters are all interacting with a different leader. They're interacting with... Uh, the queen. Yes. um, Or with, you know, this princess who doesn't want really any part of being a leader. She's still very wrapped up in her own grief and rage. That's
0: what's very interesting, too, because she's wondering if there is there maybe is not a need for a Black Panther anymore. Have we moved past that? So that's interesting, too. You get all these different feelings uh, grappling with the loss of this uh, of this king and this also- ca- character. But but yet still this the specter of the actor as well.
1: I What I would just, I feel like I need to say, and it probably goes without saying, but I want to say anyway, that I loved, loved, loved uh, that probably the first 45 or so minutes of this movie, um, essentially everyone with any agency is female. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not, nobody stops and like talks about it. Women are doing this. It's just a given. And I feel like to a small degree, it must be what it was like for a lot of people seeing black panther in the first place mm-hmm. to just see a really great yep. exceptional film with that kind of representation mm-hmm. so you know and and it's not again it's not that's a good of, point yeah uh, and it helps that it's people like lupita Nyong'o yeah. and and denny guerrera and i mean all of this tremendous talent who are able to not only um uh, act better than most people in a Marvel film, but they can also do the action sequences that keep, you know, butts in seats. And yeah. it's, you know, no, it all comes together really well.
0: Yeah, and, and we've talked about the depth of feeling. Let's move on to the action and what it looks like because oh it, God, looks it looks so cool. fantastic. <laughs> Just fantastic. And we mentioned that the the unknown world that comes to light now is an undersea world. And that under the sea footage is great. I mean, it made me instantly realize seeing the first Justice League and how comical that underwater stuff was. Now, it did get better with Aquaman, but still, this is... This is top notch. And I guess it stands to reason because technology is always getting better. But man, the underwater footage here is great. The overall look is fantastic. The battle scenes are incredible spectacle. So you've got both. You've got the depth of feeling and then you've got the superhero action as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, and and to be perfectly honest, and I think you agree with me, it is not as good a film as Black Panther. But again, that's a very high bar.
0: Yeah, the, the one part of the, the story that didn't really work as well for me, there's a there's a young uh, fief, technical scientist. Sci- there's a young scientist at MIT who was brought into the story that sort of mirrors the technical genius of Princess Zuri's character and they they interact and you get that. Mm-hmm. And, and it just—not that it's bad—it just seems a little superfluous. I was—I think we were both talking after the movie. You probably could have removed that thread right. and yeah. still had a very effective, almost the same movie. So I
1: also—I mean, for me, I—I I just don't think that Letitia Wright is as strong or charismatic an actor as the cast around her, mm. and so I—I I think. I'm not saying that she's she's does a poor job. She doesn't. She does a good job. She was she was I think better suited in the first movie to an interesting side character, mm-hmm. and I think that her transition to such a central figure, she just she doesn't carry the film as well as maybe it, it would have been nice. But
0: even so, even if even with that thread feeling a little bit superfluous, the two hour and forty minute runtime to me never felt overrun never no. felt bloated nope. it moves along pretty quickly and it should say you don't ha- you we should say you don't have to wait until the very end of the credits there's there's no final scene at the very end which seems kind of well it seems very right considering the scene that you get mid credits which is as we've been saying all week it's a perfect toast to an absent friend is what it is yes and uh, and have some tissues handy because they're really after that another scene would have been superf- superfluous. Yes. Uh, that's a nice way to end it. So big recommendations for uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. See it on the big, big, big screen because it looks glorious and there's some, great, uh, there's some great emotion to it as well. Black Panther Wakanda Forever playing everywhere. Now we're going to get into it. Let's have a uh, comedy <laughs> a holiday musical. A musical version of Charles Dickens' story of a miserly misanthrope who was taken on a magical journey. This is Spirited. What is all of this? I'm your ghost of Christmas present, like a Christmas Carol. What do you, do you think I'm going to be? All intrigued by what's behind the door? I... Not even a little bit curious. Damn it! My first save. There was this little sick kid. What did they call him? It was Tiny Tim? No, no, no. Sweet kid, one crutch. Nope. Little Larry. No, Tiny Tim. Micro, micro, super small, Steve. Holy shit.
1: I wanted to like it.
0: Well, as we were saying on our TV gig this morning, we should have some sort of an alert, some sort of buzzer that goes off when there's a disagreement alert. Here we go. <laughs> but anytime you say musical, that's where it starts right now because your your foot is halfway out the door already when it says musical and you didn't really enjoy this as much. You had some moments where you liked it. I liked it a lot and this is Apple TV. It's going to be in theaters this week and then hitting Apple TV starting next week. But as always, we would recommend, I would recommend seeing it on the big screen because this is a big spectacle, too. It's a big Hollywood song and dance spectacle, musical. And I think it is a lot of fun and funny, and it sort of gives takes a a wicked approach to another classic villain, Ebenezer Scrooge, because, of course, at the end of A Christmas Carol, his heart is turned. But what happens after that? Well, we find out when he goes to the great beyond, he hooks back up with his... Uh, old partner Jacob Marley, and they launch a firm that does other hauntings trying to turn other misanthropes, give them a a big heart. And uh, also what we find out is the afterlife is a musical, which for some people is heavenly. Other people, not so much. (laughs) In fact, one person in this room. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly hell. Yeah. so, um, So then you get the ghost of Christmas present, which is Will Ferrell. And uh, his, two, his two cohorts, of course. The ghost of uh, Christmas yet to be is voiced by Tracy Morgan. Hilarious. There's a bi- big specter of a, of a suit, and a, of course you don't see the face. It's voiced by Tracy Morgan, and the Christmas past is Sunita Mani. So they get the assignment of trying to redeem this guy named Clint, who's played by Ryan Reynolds. And he is—actually, Jacob Marley views him as irredeemable, yes. beyond help— because he is a, well, they call him a a mix of Mussolini and Ryan Seacrest. Um, He's a media chaos and disinformation specialist, so that does sound charming, doesn't it? That's the assignment. They have to try to turn him with these hauntings. And then things get a little more complicated when the ghost of Christmas present uh, has a little crush on Kimberly, Clint's assistant, who's played by Octavia Spencer, and that makes uh, Christmas present thinking maybe he'll return to human form, which he has an option to do. So basically you just have this twist on the Charles Dickens story with a lot of songs should say the songs are done by the same two guys that did the songs in Greatest Showman and they sound like that style. They're still working in here. And I don't think every song works, but there's a couple of gems here. Come on. The well, there's s- one. The song Good there's Afternoon. Yeah. There's a song called Good Afternoon that I'm telling you, I want this on my playlist right now. It's hilarious. And if you if you saw the old musical from back in the day, Scrooge, that has that song Thank You Very Much in it, which I also like. Uh, this is sort of an answer to that, a hilarious answer to that, and I loved it. Uh, the the big dance numbers are great, and I gotta say, Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell, they're they're fun together, but they're really all in on this. They really are.
1: Yes, so I want to give it that. Um, they are almost always fun to watch, no matter what they do, and they make <clears throat> their sort of bromance in here is adorable <laughs> and hilarious and charming. I I enjoyed that. Um, and I liked Octavia Spencer as Wolf Farrell's love interest. I loved I mean, I thought every time he sort of, you know, pined over and talked <laughs> about her, it was so sincere and adorable. So I really I did. I wanted to like this. And I remember about an hour in, I I said, I can't believe this movie is still on. And you said yeah, I can see how maybe it might eventually wear out its welcome. And I said that it had about 20 minutes earlier. <laughs> and it, it is. It's fully two hours. It is. Yeah. And it's so long. And there are so many songs. And no one can sing. Well, the,
0: I, I will grant you, it is a little unusual that no one is that
1: no one can sing good
0: singer but it's sort of after a while for me it sort of add added to the charm it's like let's just let's all do it let's just all sing and dance and have a good holiday time and it's been almost hard to believe it's been almost 20 years since will ferrell did christmas and i i think he picked a good one to come back to in fact i think if you're If you're of a mind that that likes this stuff, this is going to be an annual watch. I really do. Oh, my God. Does
1: that mean we're going to have to watch this every year? I'm not saying
0: for you. I'm saying that...
1: Well, where am I going to (laughs) go while you watch it?
0: I'm saying there's a (laughs) lot of people that are going to love this movie. Now, if you're of a mind, like Hope is, not a fan of musicals, probably pass on it. But I think a lot of people are going to really like this movie. And I thought it was just fun and funny and a blast. So... Merry Christmas to you. <laughs> <laughs> and that is spirited. Uh, one week in theaters. See it in the big screen. Come on. And then uh, next week it's going to Apple TV. Let's do an animated adventure comedy next. Elmer Elevator searches for a captive dragon on Wild Island and finds much more than he could ever have anticipated. This is the latest big screen venture for Cartoon Saloon. We love them. And they're back with My Father's Dragon.
2: I this dragon to us. We will track him and the child. What do I do now, Elmer?
1: Don't worry, because I'm coming with you. We're going to do it together. Get him!
2: I'll look after you.
1: This really was my lucky day. And tomorrow's going to be even luckier. This one's on Netflix, and it's you know it's it's funny because the pro and con are are almost the same. This movie is not as fascinating as Cartoon Saloon's other films, Wolf or uh, Secret of Kells, Song of the Sea, just
0: beautiful stuff.
1: But at the same time. It's much more kid friendly. Yeah. So I like it's 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 kind of like they're 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 dulling their edge a little bit so that they can reach a broader audience. Mm-hmm. So I I give them that. I, I you know I didn't enjoy it as much as I enjoyed all of their other features. That doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it. It's it's another beautiful hand drawn animation. Yeah.
0: And by the way, if you don't know Cartoon Saloon, look up their catalog. Just great. Watch stuff. them all. Great stuff.
1: Um and um and it does have a great voice cast. So Jacob Tremblay who I love.
0: <laughs> he's growing up on us. I know. He's like 16 years old Stop now. Stop it. Been driving.
1: <laughs> he's the voice of Elmer. And uh, he and his mom just moved to a big city, and he's missing the small town and the little store that they used to run together. And so a talking cat, Whoopi Goldberg, uh, talks him into riding a talking whale, Judy Greer, to Wild Island so that he can save a dragon and change their fortune and and fix everything back at home. And what it comes down to is he's a fixer, he's a problem solver. And uh and so he this is why he's kind of uptight is cuz he wants to fix this situation so much. And there's it's really human in that way because there are so many people who are like that and they're so Afraid of failing that they they can't bear to see somebody else that they love fail, which means that they hold them back. And so it's it's really it's incredibly well structured and and really well told. And it's it's again, it's gorgeous. And um, you know, you also have Ian McShane oh, yeah. is a voice in there. Oh, there's Alan a bunch coming. Jackie
0: Earl Haley, Chris O'Dowd, Adam Brody, Diane Weist. There's a lot, a lot of yeah, talent uh, here. Yeah,
1: a ton. Um, and they all do a really good job. As we've talked about this before. Not not everyone just because they're a good actor makes a good voice actor not at all but but these people really do and and it's just i mean it's a lovely very family friendly very sweet and good-natured film so perfect
0: for this time of year exactly. got the kids over a family over for the holidays and that is on Netflix called My Father's Dragon but yeah Cartoon Saloon look them up look them up Next a drama from a Sophie reflects on the shared joy and private melancholy of a holiday she took with her father 20 years earlier Memories real and imagined fill the gaps between as she tries to reconcile the father she knew with the man she didn't. This is called After Son. you know that you can talk to me about anything? whatever parties you go to, boys you meet, drugs you take.
1: Dad? Oh my God, what even is that?
0: These are my moves.
2: No, that's so embarrassing. That's not
1: embarrassing.
2: You okay through there? I don't know, I guess. Just feel a bit down or something.
1: Not you mean. Don't
2: you ever feel like tired and down and feels like your bones don't work, like you're sinking. You never know where you'll end up though. You can live wherever you want to live. Whoever you want to be. You have time.
1: It is astonishing that this is the feature debut from writer director Charlotte Wells. What she does with this story is so subtle and so well pieced together, and it absolutely just disregards their traditional storytelling tell me what's going on frame this for me you know you you need to be paying attention because every edit means something and it's told mainly through which is so dated at this point it's so it's such a worn out uh concept but it's camcorder footage primarily of of uh just footage that this girl took on this yeah. vacation with her dad but the way that it's done it's such a great tool for somebody's shoddy memory and for a separation between what you are actually seeing and what's truly going on. Yeah. The two performers Paul Mescal and Frankie Corio, their rapport is so authentic and sweet and heartbreaking that that alone, you know, even though the even though Wells doesn't sort of spoon-feed you a story, mm-hmm. You just want to watch these two, and that's enough for you to understand what the adult Sophie is grappling with as she looks back on the story.
0: And if you remember the Sofia Coppola movie from a few years back uh, with uh, Stephen Dorff, Somewhere might remind you of, of that. The, the The narrative isn't very structured, dreamlike in some ways, but boy, it it's, can speak to you.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's it, There are a lot of similarities between those two films. Um and, and you know, I think and I you I think you agree with me, that's one of Coppola's most underrated oh, films. Yeah. It was yeah. a
0: beautifully told Because when you're telling a story that way, let's be honest, it can put off some audience members. Sure, absolutely. It really can. But if you buy in and let it sort of wash over you, it can really be be something.
1: Yeah. So it is it's just a really exceptional. Sort of moment that that speaks to the distance between a father and a daughter, yeah. and the sadness that goes into that.
0: Very much, and this is uh, After Son in theaters now. Got a couple of Shudder horror films to talk about. We like that. First one is a probation officer tasked with rehabilitating a notorious killer named Bloody Mary back into society following a two-decade sentence. This is called Mandrake.
1: <laughs> Mary Layla just went off property.
0: she comes back, two kids vanish. Leon! Leon!
2: What they got up to up here was sick.
1: Thirty years in this skin. It's nothing to do with me. Get out! Mandrake, his father was a
2: man. His mother is the earth. Put it down! (laughs)
1: Yours, if you want it. It's up to you. It was a little worrisome to me because the probation officer's name is Kathy Madden. <laughs> I have about six first cousins named Whoops. Kathy Madden. I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, kind of hit home. But this is an Irish horror movie, and something about Irish horror movies, they always work a spell. And, uh, and the idea speaking of spells, people think that Mary's a witch, and, uh, and the movie makes you wonder. And I think that that's one of the things that it does really well is that it's not a religious film. It's not a movie that's, like, Catholic in its orientation or anything else. It's more like it's somebody who has some kind of a relationship with nature and with something creepy in the woods. And I think that's what makes it work really well. Uh, the performances are great, and it's it's a surprising movie. There are some punches that you expect it to pull that it does not. And that's always a good thing, I think, if you're a fan of horror. So this is another big recommendation for a Shudder film.
0: Yeah, the writer here, Matt Harvey, and the director is Lynn Davison. And yeah, on Shudder, Shutter, good one called Mandrake. And next on Shudder, an adventure about Micah and her ragtag friends discovering an alien invasion in their tiny Arctic Hamlet and then it's up to them to save the day. This is called Slashback.
1: What is it? Emergency! What are we supposed to do now? They
2: came here to hunt us. But what they don't know is
1: that we're the best hunters there is.
2: Let's go hunting.
1: This is fun. And we should say the
0: title is, it's not one word, it's slash and then a slash and then the word back. That's right.
1: That's right. And it's um it's the thing essentially yeah. you know plus I don't know Goonies or Stranger Things or something you know and it's really fun Nyla Anuksuk is the name of the of the director writer director and it's definitely the film embraces that background mm-hmm. it opens on a a scientist in the Arctic who finds something in the snow which is never a good thing for the scientist if well you're I, I love that they film.
0: embrace because if, you, if you're going to do it. Yes, just yeah, embrace just it. Just
1: do it. Exactly. And and they do it in such a fun and funny way. The the actors are, I'm going to assume, all non-professional actors. And sometimes that's clearer than you'd like it to be. There uh-huh. are times where that really pulls you out of the film. But there are other times when, because it's it's primarily these four girls, these four teenage girls, their um, their rapport, their conversations ring more true than what you're going to find in Stranger Things or in something else where, where it's cur- clearly very scripted. Um, with people who are acting, clearly acting. So, you know, it's a back and forth with that. But I think one of the things that makes this film work so well is the cheeky way that it nods to what it's doing, which is showing a group of indigenous teens ge- expelling a- an invasive species. Uh-huh. Uh, it's very smart and in, in the way that, it, that that the film does not sort of you know overwhelm you or preach at you but it just rethinks this in a way that you you, you know you're kind of root for these girls no matter what yeah. but i but i really appreciated that about it plus my god it is gorgeous you and i got a chance to see the new Innery 2 the other day oh, Bardo, my Lord. which oh. is the most beautiful movie i've seen in years good god this is the second most beautiful film i have seen in 2022 Holy it is gorgeous moly. it is astonishing the cinematography in this movie.
0: that is high praise and yeah because we just saw it earlier this year we saw you know the movie smile you know mashed together the ring and it follows and it knew it and it embraced it let's go and it did a great job yes, with it yes exactly yeah. so if you're going to do it just go do it and be successful with it <laughs> <laughs> and this one is another one on shutter called slash slash back Next is a documentary investigating the politics of cinema shot design and how this meta level of filmmaking intersects with the twin epidemics of sexual abuse and assault and employment discrimination against women with over 175 movie clips from 1896 to 2020. It's called Brainwashed Sex Camera
1: Even though I have been talking about these things and I understand the male gaze in cinema and I've been bothered by it, it really was through the process of making the film, the actual process of making the film was transformational for me and I started realizing how embedded this stuff is really inside practically in our DNA structure and we have to get free of it. The master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. It's the stuff that I think you thought, and
2: maybe I thought, well, everybody knows this. It's in the ether. But it's the ether. And so to name
1: it and to show it is something that I believe can change the world. Filmmaker Nina Minkus essentially delivers a TED Talk.
0: Pretty much. It's a, it's a presentation that is filmed with a lot of other things layered through it, like talking head interviews and things like that. But, yeah, pretty much.
1: And, you know, it's fascinating. It and It is. It's, and it's... Um, it's important content, as, and as you as I were saying, you in particular were pointing out, it would be a great introduction to an entire course.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, it certainly is. It's, it's enlightening. I mean, it's very, a very important topic and very true. What she's pointing out, I'm not in any way diminishing. It's so true. I, I think I liked it a little less than you did. I had a couple of different problems with it, but, but obviously in a situation like this, a, as a man, it's more important for me to do more listening than to talking so so your your interpretation i think hits home a lot more
1: well one of the things that she points out that i think a lot of people absolutely do not recognize is the way something like um shot sequencing affects the power structure in cinema and how it's so Ingrained that even women filmmakers fall back on it without realizing that's what they're doing. So right. the way that a film, a, a shot is structured, structures the man as the subject, which is to say the person who is acting, and the woman as the object, which is to say the person who's being acted upon
0: and looked at.
1: And the and and it has created a a, a universe where that's how we see. People and not and as the film eventually points out, not just men and women, but people in power and anybody who is not in power. Yes. So um, homosexual characters, uh, characters of color, depending on the film. It's yeah. it's but but more than anything, not only does this and it's also color uh, lighting. Um, oh, yeah. Sound. Yep. Just and but again, I think one of the things that's fascinating is that what she points out is you're going to find Some of these tropes, even in Catherine Bigelow films, even in Patty Jenkins films. Now, there are you and I both found uh, there were a handful of times where the clips that she chose, I didn't, I didn't agree. Same that the point she was making was being made by this clip.
0: Same, Uh, which which brought up a great question for me that I I think was the big unanswered question in this movie. Does she feel that context matters? Because when she shows a clip like that, let's just say, well, there's one from Phantom Thread yeah. that you thought was actually Paul Thomas Anderson subverting this notion. And then she also used Hustlers, which I pointed out, well, but that whole movie was about women using these the male gaze against men to take something from them. So anyway, it just led me to to want to know, look... Does she think context matters? If you don't think it matters, that's fine. I just wanted that explained. Yeah,
1: because there are times where, for example, she uses a, she uses a clip from Roma where mm-hmm. the only nude the n- nudity is a man, and it's completely... Uh, he's top to bottom nude. but he's but he's also. In action. He's moving the whole time mm-hmm. and he's not being sliced up. You're not seeing a shoulder here and buttocks right. there, or like there. He's in his. And uh, so, what she points out is that men are generally speaking, they are filmed in that way. You see the entire man. Right. And generally speaking, women are filmed in bits and pieces because mm-hmm. you're looking at bits and pieces of them. But I don't think she was necessarily criticizing Roma because it just, did right. represent this man in this way. She's just pointing out it's an, it's an example of what we're all prone to seeing, which is man I, I as a, a, a character of action. Mm-hmm. And woman as a character to be acted upon.
0: Yeah, I get that completely. I just would have loved to have had the the topic of context brought up. Sure. And also, I got to admit, she uses a lot of her own films here. For me, that was the biggest drawback.
1: The biggest drawback. I totally agree with you. Um, but I, there were so many talking heads. There were so many, as you know, Julie Dash, mm-hmm. who I adore, mm-hmm. filmmaker Julie Dash. And she had some incredibly poignant and interesting things to say because, of course, she's been a part of this industry for such a long time. She's seen it. She's seen it transpire. And when she talks about her own film, uh, Daughters of the Dust, what she points to is how she recognized this. And this that was like 1991. She recognizes back then, and she intentionally subverted it. So it's not like this is new news. This has been going on forever. And the other thing that I want to point out that I thought, and we can move on after this, but she goes out of her way, Menkes goes out of her way to use almost exclusively clips from masterpieces. Mm. Because what she's saying, she's she's, she's not saying just anybody does this. She's saying this is so pervasive that the greatest filmmakers from the beginning of film onward – have used it, and that's one of the reasons why you don't even see it. Mm-hmm. You just accept that this is how it is.
0: Yeah, and I get that, and I think it's a very important point, and a, and she brings it up very well, this whole subject. And it is a great introduction of things, Even even if— especially if you've never realized this before, and even if you have and just want to see it more di- you know, dissected in, in more detail. I d- definitely do recommend it. Just was a couple of things there I just kind of had a, a little bit of a problem with. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a very important and true, I'm not, not doubting this in any way, believe me, um, and it's really, really eye-opening to see it laid out like this, and that's called Brainwashed Sex Camera Power in Theaters Now got a comedy about family next in more ways than one. A son returns to his small hometown to take care of his ailing father. This is called Sam and Kate.
2: What used to be the problem? Well,
1: yeah, we met years ago, Tina. And this is my daughter, Kate.
2: Oh, this is my son, Sam.
1: Nice to meet you, Sam.
2: Nice to meet you too, Kate.
1: So you guys always pick up ladies in the church parking lot?
2: Totally. Well, hello there. Technically, we are not in the church parking lot pickup spot. Go we. Do you have a big old frying pan that you don't use it? And a couple of beers.
1: Let's see if you get the car running first.
2: You're tough. <laughs> I was wondering if I could call you, we could hang out.
1: I'm not really dating right now.
2: Perfect, because I'm not dating anybody right now.
1: So Dustin Hoffman is the, uh, the aging father, Bill, and his son, Sam, super good guy who comes home to take care of him, is played by Jake Hoffman, his son. Right. And then they both, at the same time, develop massive crushes on this mother-daughter across town, played by Sissy Spacek, and Sissy Spacek's daughter, Skylar Fisk.
0: Yes, so that's cute right it, away. It
1: is, and it seems like a gimmick. It feels like a gimmick. But the truth is, this movie is just lovely. It's so well-written and directed, too to, just express, first of all, a kind of uh, an appreciation for worn-out, old, vintage things, but a healthy appreciation. Because, mm-hmm. in fact, actually, um, Sissy Spacek's character, Tina, is a hoarder. Yeah. So you can, you know, it's like the, the movie, it balances that. Uh, and also things like, just little things like, you know that when you're looking on Tina's wall, all of those framed pictures of mother and daughter They're are real.
2: actually
1: there.
0: <laughs> that is great. But, the, you know,
1: all the performances are great. Um, Dustin Hoffman is a hoot as this just, you know, cantankerous but funny old man.
0: <laughs> yeah, this th- is the, uh, the feature debut for writer-director Darren Legallo. And it's also just great to see veteran, very veteran, actors like Dustin Hoffman and Sissy Spacek get these kind of roles and, and able to shine like this and it's it's really great to see them and especially warm when they're acting with their own children
1: yeah it is, and, it's, and it is I think it's really you and I have talked about this before when when older actors veteran actors when a film takes aging seriously with humor but humor that is not directed at the elderly right?
0: not laughing at them laughing with them yeah
1: and it's a very tender film and (laughs) and really honestly it's jake hoffman who's the star of this i mean he steals this movie with an incredibly tender lovely portrayal and also i just want to henry thomas shows up as this as this like stoner best friend which is a hoot (laughs) yeah i you know i was really this movie snuck on snuck up on me i was really surprised by how much i liked it and it's in theaters now
0: yeah and that's called sam and kate All right, let's go to VOD action thriller. Ryan Swan must carve his way through the Hawaiian crime world to wreak vengeance on the kingpin who murdered his father. This is Paradise City.
2: Your dad and I used to work together. He made a lot of enemies. He's tracking a real whale of a bounty. Are you dangerous? Not to my friends. Well, that's too bad because I have enough friends. El Gringo Narco, biggest meth operation in the Midwest. That make Maui, the international drug port. A toast to the new Maui. From now on, everybody's wishes come true.
1: He's a stone-cold killer tied to the cartels.
2: Ah! Word of advice, I would leave this island and not come back. You wanna get to work or not? Let's do it.
1: Are you too stupid to die? You've been chasing me for
2: 10 years.
0: I'm a little OCD. At the top of the billing here, John Travolta and Bruce Willis. Now, at one point, I think this was targeted to be the Bruce Willis' final film. Of course, he's got the the aphasia diagnosis and going into retirement. Since then, we've learned that he's sold his likeness, so there may be more. And then I see on IMDb there's, there's still more coming out, so it's not the, the last one. And that's good because... Whew, You had hopes for maybe, because you you get him back together with John Travolta, and then you add Stephen Dorff, who's a solid actor. Yeah, he is. You're thinking, okay, maybe we can get something respectable here, like Gasoline Alley was uh, last year, maybe earlier this year. My God, Bruce Willis has so many movies. Um, That one was surprisingly watchable. This one is not. Um, It's it's really not the fault of Travolta. Travolta's a bad guy, and he really tones down, you know, the hammy scenery chewing. Thank you. And Dorff... Is good. And Bruce Willis, you know, for what he's going through, he, he really handles what he's asked to do here.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But I really felt for Stephen Dorff because most of the, the supporting cast of actors he has to deal with, my God, they're awful. <laughs> they're just so bad. The movie is carelessly constructed. The fight choreography, good Lord. You
1: compared it to Dolomite. I
0: did. <laughs> Where somebody just kind of kicks in someone's general direction and they go flying <laughs> through a wall. I mean, come on. It's, it's another one of these productions by the, this team of writers, directors, uh, Chuck Russell, Edward Drake, and Corey Large. They've done a lot of these, a lot of them with Bruce Willis. Um, I guess the scenery looks nice. Everyone probably had a good time in Maui. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But man, it's it's really, it's not good. It's not good. So let's move on. And let's wrap it up with a documentary, an immersive journey through the New York music scene of the early 2000s. A new generation kickstarted a musical rebirth for New York City that reverberated around the world. This is called Meet Me in the Bathroom. Julian was
2: telling me how scared he was. Things were never going to be normal for him again. Being a woman, fronting a rock band, I was sensationalized. There was a lot of tension in the studio. He said, you really don't want people to hear this. But I've lived in fear my whole life and I had
0: nothing to lose.
2: You could feel the love from the community. You could fail and it didn't matter. It was about freedom. It became her home.
1: Those years were the big bang of my life.
0: This is based on a book, and if you have an affinity for this type of music and some of these bands, this will probably speak to you more than if you don't.
1: Yeah, Rachel Willis reviewed this one for us at MadWolf.com. And the truth is, though, uh, you know, this is kind of the soundtrack of her 20s, and she didn't love the movie because it just... It couldn't sort of zero in, right? It needed to be a little bit more focused. And as it is, you just, it, you know, it'll introduce a band or introduce a singer or introduce a uh, musician and then kind of you drop them, you lose them. The main threads are the yeah, yeah, yeahs and the strokes really starts with the strokes as it sort of did. I mean, the, the mm-hmm. explosion of this music scene sort of started with the strokes and you get a lot of them. Um, as they progress through their career, and you know, it. it and the, one of the things that it does that the book, of course, can't do, is gives you a lot of concert footage, which is great. A lot yeah. of just archival footage, a lot of music. So it, the movie sounds great, and it's just that it, it, and there's no, um, not there's no talking heads. There's nothing that's structuring this sort of just fly on the wall for you. It's immersive, yeah. immersive mm-hmm. which may work better for some than for others. And and I think that that's a strength of the film that it doesn't tell you what it's doing, but it. it To do that, it probably needed to be a bit more focused.
0: And you can check out Rachel's full review at MadWolf.com. That is in theaters now called Meet Me in the Bathroom. Meet us in the lobby.
2: Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby.
0: Stopping back into the lobby for a week's worth of knowledge on the uh, studio front. What's happening, Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the schlocketeer?
2: (laughs) Well, uh, first off, if you're a fan of Hallmark Christmas movies, um, they are pretty much all available on Peacock now. Dozens upon dozens of them. So (laughs) if you need some uh, filler to kill time this holiday season, that's the place to go.
0: I got to be honest. I honestly don't think I've ever watched one.
2: Neither have I. (laughs) But I know that. I mean, people love them. Oh, yeah, they do. So go get it. There they are. Peacock. And the indie horror comedy creature feature Crabs will be available on VOD as well as streaming on Amazon Prime come November 15th. And then Nightmares Film Festival selection Float will arrive in limited theatrical release and on VOD on December 8th, courtesy of XYZ Film. Nice. Mark Wahlberg's faith-centric drama, Father Stew, is getting re-released in theaters on December 9th, this time edited down to a PG-13 and under the title, Father Stew Reborn.
0: Wow. <laughs> you know, I thought it was it was half decent. I mean, that's going to be interesting.
2: It'll be interesting to see if it can pick up uh, a bit more of an audience yeah. with a lower rating.
0: Yeah, wow. Okay.
2: Uh, Disney Plus is premiering an extended cut of their 1992 film, The Muppet Christmas Carol, on December 9th, and it features a previously cut song that was once thought lost.
0: Muppets always make it better.
2: Oh, yeah. Netflix is premiering The Big Four on um, December 15th, which is uh, Indonesian genre madman Timo Giagianto's brand-new action comedy. So I don't think it will be as violent as some of his other films, but it'll probably still be pretty violent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Paramount Plus is debuting Teen Wolf the movie on their service on January 26th, and that is a feature continuation of the recent MTV series uh, by the same name. I've never seen the show, but from what I understand, it's a lot more serious than the Michael J. Fox film from
0: 1985.
2: <laughs> I bet. <laughs> uh, February 15th is the Netflix premiere of Murder Mystery 2, which is, of course, a sequel to the... Um, 2019 Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston comedy, uh, both of whom are back back for it. Okay. Anyone who enjoyed that, they've got more on the way. February 10th is the Netflix premiere of the Reese Witherspoon rom-com, Your Place or Mine. And then there's a comedic thriller called Sharper that is getting a release on Apple TV Plus on February 17th that stars Julianne Moore, Sebastian Stan, Justice Smith, and John Lithgow. And then finally, uh, Paramount has played musical chairs with two of their um, March releases Are they next year. Uh, Dungeons & Dragons, Honor Among Thieves has been pushed back four weeks to March 31st, and Scream 6 has been moved up three weeks to March 10th. Okay. Swap places there. All right. That's all I've got for you.
0: Okay, we appreciate it. As always, keep up with the latest goings on by uh, following The Schlocketeer on socials. Thank you. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, looking ahead to next week, a couple of high profile movies on the menu, huh? <laughs> uh, the Menu is out next week. Also, She Said, Disenchanted, Shadows, Presence, Bantu Mama, Lamborghini. You resemble me. All right. We'll see about that next week. But this week, oh, boy, we got a lot going on. Black Panther and spirited. How do you feel about musicals? Settle this debate. Pick a side. Oh, they're going to choose yours. <laughs> no, there's, no I, think that, I think a lot of people, well, this morning on, uh, on our TV gig, the, the two anchors were split on that just like we are. Yeah. One liked it. It was funny, too. The guy liked musicals. The girl did not. That's so true. let's blow up those stereotypes. All right. <laughs> anyway, we love to t- talk to movies. Uh, what do you think about anything this week that you've seen recently? You can always find us easily on Twitter. We're at Mad Wolf. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and other fun stuff, like our horror movie only podcast called Fright Club. That's all for you there at madwolf.com. All right. Have a great beginning to the holiday season. Uh, Keep in touch if you can. We'll talk next week. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolfe. And this is the Screening Room Podcast.
1: See ya.
2: I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner.
0: Bye.
1: Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. (laughs)